Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we are watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit, because it's turning 30 years old. Watching this uh, mishmash of live action and animation, we have, as always, someone who has seen the film, and somebody who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film is Andrew David. Hello! You got me in another one I haven't seen. Yes. uh, Andrew, how have you not seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit? (laughs) Um, It's... I think like a lot of people, it's been like one of those films that everyone should see and everyone knows they should have seen it, but it's been too long. And then when you started doing this podcast, I figured I'd hold out Mm. until I could talk about it. Well, you held out well because we have been trying to get this one on for most of this year uh, and it just kept getting pushed back. Oh, I've been been, uh, forcing your hand Mm. behind the scenes Uh and making bad things happen so it all aligns and I can be on this episode. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, we're here now. Um, what are you expecting from Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Um, comedy, mm-hmm. uh, zanky hijinks, uh, some social commentary. If what I've the scant things I've read are anything to go by, I like cracked articles. Uh, cracked articles for sure. I've mm. definitely skimmed through. I've been like, oh, I don't know this film, but I'll read about it anyway because mm. I like to have it in my lexicon. That's fair. Um, that's pretty much all I know about it. That's okay. Uh, well, joining us as uh, to help shepherd you through this film is our guest <laughs> who has seen the film. It's Jason Dolly, everybody. Hello, how are you guys? We're good. pretty good, Jason. Good, thank you. Uh, good. you have seen this film, but as uh-huh. you were saying before uh, we started recording, it mm. was when you were but a teenager when, yeah. when you last saw it. I think, I think the first, first time I saw it, I might have been 11. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those things that made me really like film as well. Probably one of the biggest ones because... Of how it did blend. And I think it was kind of, I was at that age where you start to stop viewing, like you might understand how something shot, but then you start to really understand the spectacle and the art behind films. Hmm. Like as a kid, if you're, you can watch these things and my kids are such, sometimes such undiscerning viewers of things is because that they just like seeing the pretty things or how cool it is. Like, for instance, take Power Rangers. It's literally just like, you know, the huge robots were always the best bits. Mm. But they were just guys <laughs> in boxes, like, punching each other. Mm. Or guys in a rubber suit. And, but for some reason, you still really enjoyed that because you felt like it was big as a little kid. And when you get older, you start to really see the, you know, the person inside and how, you know, the camera angles worked. And pulling think, the curtain back. Yeah, you start yeah. pulling the curtain back. And I think this is the first one that, like, when I started to pull the curtains back, I was still like... Okay, that is quite amazing, mm. especially I mean, for '97, probably when I watched it. Yeah, it's it, it does still hold up. I've watched this film uh, quite recently, probably about mm. two years ago, and it's uh, it still held up then. 
and I'm hoping that it's still held up in the two <laughs> years since. Um, and as, as a kid, it was one of my favourite films. Mm. Uh, I think precisely because of the technological achievement that was yeah. um, seeing cartoons and real-life actors working together quite seamlessly. Mm. Um, so w- with all that in mind, shall we just watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yep. Yeah, sounds good to me. Okay, for those of you listening at home, pop in your DVDs and... Uh, Grab a nice bowl of dip to enjoy as we watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit. While Stephen and his guests are watching the film in question, I'm just going to take this moment to tell you about another project from Thought Jar Productions. It's a science fiction radio play series called Atlantis, and it's available to download right now. All you have to do is go to www.atlantisradioplay.com, click the Listen Online tab, and you can listen online or download up to seven episodes of original science fiction content from Thought Jar Productions. That's atlantisradioplay.com. And now, back to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. And welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit by we, I of course mean Jason Dolly. Hey. And Andrew David. Spoiler alert, it was the judge. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Answered the question. You mean it was creepy Christopher Lloyd? Yes. Wow. (laughs) With his amazing cartoon teeth and oh god the uh, fact he doesn't blink yeah yeah i just, read that as one of the trivia notes and he doesn't no. I, I was literally just fixed on his eyes that, oh that doesn't surprise me actually yeah yeah, yeah um andrew what did you think of who from much <laughs> rabbit i really enjoyed it i think it's definitely it's aged in a way that a lot of films from that period haven't um i guess because like it's a very specific kind of technology mm. that you see the the problems with yeah um, um it, i think particularly the two town toontown section yes stands out as like it, it bits of it are still impressive but oh, i think yeah. i think the impressive bits are in the the human world in yes. 1947 los the angeles there. but i really enjoyed it yeah and yeah. i think i think with that it's it's almost the effort that you admire more sometimes yes. about yeah. oh they must have had a bit of a hard time doing that to do that like Anytime a twin's holding something, like the weasels are holding guns. The guns, or, or like the chairs. Stuff like that. Obviously, they've the just had a gun stools. and literally sat there, yeah. rut, 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 like, you know, moving around on yeah. the strings. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, they went through a lot of effort to make this happen. They and do, it paid yeah. Off. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good fun. It, oh, it's, yeah. it's a really yeah. good fun film. Uh, Jason, mm. this was your first time watching it since you were uh, 14. Yeah, something um, like that. So, having uh, doubled your age since then, <laughs> um, how, how did it stand up? Uh, it stood up. Well, but there were still a few points where I'm like, oh, that's like, I think if I'm honest, I completely didn't enjoy his visit to Toontown. Mm. Um, and I was a bit like, oh, okay, I don't like feel like I enjoy that. But I think yeah. what maybe I'm looking for, for what it was and what it kind of hinted it would be and then diverted mm. as a kid, that was fine because they kind of went, it was getting very adult and very noir and very thick. And then it just slapsticked up at the end. Yeah. Right? At the very end. It all and I was like, oh, okay, it's not as yeah. Chinatown, which is something I've referred to already mm. before. Um, it's not as Chinatown about it yeah. or like, it's not as dark and grim, mm. which is probably what you're kind of, we kind of hanker for a bit more as 
somebody twice the age of 14 yeah and in 2018 i mean speak for yourself i loved the cartoon slapstick but (laughs) but but you are right i think um when when you're making a film noir live action cartoon crossover um where you're examining these popular animation studios but putting it in that sort of cd uh, chinatown world um i i think they got the blend quite quite right i think the the more interesting part is the the detective noir section yeah but you do need that that dip into uh into the cartoon world you, you <laughs> do that now. yeah you do need to, yeah. to see that i understood that reference yeah <laughs> so um i i think we should probably just you know start on the fact that this is this is a really good film noir style plot um yeah, yeah. you know it's is there's corporate uh in- interference there's uh, mm. you know somebody's buying the the trams to shut them down to open the freeways there's there's shady back dealings there's there's i mean we don't blackmailing see yeah there's blackmail there's like double crosses sex yeah but sex but in the in the sense that it's used in a lot of these noirs where it's like uh, they used, were playing patty cake and they were literally, literally playing, playing patty cake. cake yeah um which is just which, such a good as a joke. kid that joke makes no sense mm. yeah and if yeah. i'm honest i've really not watched that many films where they refer to sex as patty cake yeah <laughs> no it, um, but you can just sit there just going oh they probably would say that wouldn't they yeah i was wondering like, if as a kid i'm actually gonna it. show pictures throughout the whole thing and i'm like are they just gonna leave it at a patty cake mm. or are they actually is it actually gonna be patty cake it actually yeah. was and patty actually, cake yeah yeah which is just so so funny <laughs> it's and and that's that's the thing is like i think part of the reason it works so well is because noir is so serious and you've got actors like bob hoskins doing their their best the damnedest they're they're, they're the damnedest like hard gritty down on their luck detective character Mm. um but you've you you know you've got all the serious law enforcement and you've got the uh, you know the people in the bar they're all people that wouldn't be out of place in a typical film noir film yeah yeah, you makes can see it funnier. Being... Makes it funnier when you then contrast it with Yosemite San flying out of Two Town and going, "I'm burning my biscuits!" Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it, it's interesting or seeing even, that contrast. Even the best bit to probably example that, and it was, I think it was your your reaction is when everybody's like, "Why is he so grumpy and serious?" It's like his. You know, brother was killed by a tune and was like dropped a piano on his head. Yeah. And I just see you guys go. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of my first notes was even when it's dark, it still has an undertone of comedy to it. Like there's yeah. still a punchline to the the horrors they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what did we think of Bob Hoskins as Eddie Valiant? He's perfect. This was what made great. me love Bob Hoskins yeah. so much. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, mean, I think he did a great job. Yeah, yeah. And it must be. I don't know. They must have had actors around him. To mm. fill in those other tune roles. Actually, they didn't. Okay, that's even worse then. Because yeah. like, like acting without, like, nothing to act off of, he did mm. such a good job. He had, yeah. I think, from memory, from what I remember of reading about it, is they had the guy playing Roger Rabbit off scene, like right. you know, next to the camera, feeding the lines. Right. Okay. But not. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah there wasn't. There usually wasn't anything physically present for him mm. to to act off. I think gotcha. a really good comparison to that would be, and, and I kept thinking about it during this is Infinity War, hmm. that like in I know I'm bringing it back to comic books in yes. this way, but if we actually you actually look at Infinity War, most of those characters aren't there. Like no, Thanos no. isn't there. All of his children hmm. aren't there. None of the monsters are there, and they've got to act off them somehow. Yeah. yeah. Even and you've characters got a, like Groot and uh, Rocket Raccoon. Uh, and, and, and and some of the live actors balls. aren't in the same place for the yeah. same scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they just edit around it and you've yeah. just got to pretend that there's mm. all this stuff going mm. on. Or you're like, and you see that, like you see um, like pictures of Josh, Josh Brolin wearing this like, 
thing that makes his like shoulders 20 foot up and then so he's get the just acting right. down yeah. there and so they can get the eye line mm. right for that. But the thing is, is that these techniques have been developed in the 30 years since, since then, this yeah. film. And mm-hmm. arguably this film is what helped push that forward as a possibility. Mm. Even though it doesn't look as clean, particularly with the fact that a lot of it's rotoscoped. And so yeah. Bob Hoskins stands, I mean, he stands out like a sore thumb, it's sore thumb in Toontown anyway. Yeah. But from a technological standpoint, it's it's that blurred edge. It's it's Luke Skywalker fighting the Rancor in less clean versions of yes. Return of the Jedi. But yeah. they made it bright and shiny so yeah. that you see the edges. And they, they did make, yeah. you could clearly see they were making efforts to do it. Yeah. But to our kind of... Not trained, but yeah, kind of trained mm. eye to it. Well, I mean, with with thirty years on, and yeah. you know, the, these techni- these technologies have developed since. I I'm still impressed with how much this film holds up. the The animation, independent of it being in the three D world, is beautiful animation. Yeah, it's mm. it's very well put together. Obviously, they had a lot of support from Warner Brothers and Disney and all these different animation studios and lots of old classics. Which like is crazy. You'd never get that kind of cooperation from those, well, those actually, brands. That's kind of something I was thinking about because in the last couple of years and coming up, we've already had like two or three. We've got like the biggest one Ready that I brought, one. Ready yeah. Player One. Yeah, I brought yeah. it up earlier. Mm. That, if you look at it, like if you two haven't seen Ready Player no. One. No, I saw it um, in Ireland and it's it is just... Reference after reference, we're sitting there just going, how do they get that? How do they get that? from lots of different videos. There's literally just a point where they just walk past, it's not even a second and you're not meant to notice it, but there's just a shot of like a Boba Fett and a Harley Quinn walking past with each other talking. Great. And it's like, oh, okay, like those kind of things, it's full of it. And then there's a battle with them too and people are like pulling out whatever they want and you'll just watch the Halo guys running past. Yeah, I guess that would be the the closest To that, and it's a Spielberg Thing. like Spielberg he must like bringing different brands together I think because people trust him like, yeah he, there's a reason he is considered the best director ever in a lot of ways yeah or at least the most successful director. the most successful yeah. director. Yeah. And, yeah yeah and I think obviously he's not directing this film it's Robert Zemeckis uh, mm. having just come off back to the future with Spielberg uh, with, well. with Spielberg producing I think that's a really good combination having them together um, working on this film. Actually, even, go, sorry, to go back to Ready Player One, there is a literal line where they mention Robert Zemeckis' name oh, in really? Ready Player One. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's um, it's confusing, and it's more of a reference to Back to the Future. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, because the DeLorean keeps showing up. The DeLorean yeah. shows up a lot, but there's also this um, item called the Zemeckis Cube. Right, okay. Which uh, turns back time. Cool, Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. So yeah, that's mm. why. Yeah. Okay. So anybody who doesn't know that Robert Zemeckis, Zemeckis, yeah. Zemeckis, <laughs> um, did that film would just assume that it's a random word yeah. that somebody came up with. The Zemeckis cube does sound like a cool sort of science fiction. It film. does, doesn't so, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, spe- <laughs> speaking of Back to the Future, obviously Christopher Lloyd, Christopher Lloyd. is uh, popping around in this film. Um, if you want a human being to play a cartoon character, I I'd say he'd be in the top the top few. few. Yeah, and and the thing is, is like uh, you know, it's often when you think of those sort of animated um, people pretending to be cartoons, like a lot of people go for very physical comedians like Jim Carrey or yeah. Robin Williams. Like you yes. can see them doing this sort of thing really well. But what I really like about Christopher Lloyd is just how. Creepy. He makes. Yeah, he Judge was. Doom. He was a horrible was cartoon. Terrifying. Yeah. yeah. He, he's first thing he just casually <laughs> murders a toon, and yeah. you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> well, you know, that's 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 part of the thing. You know, it's showing showing that Judge Doom is a real bad yeah. guy, yeah. and and the prosthetics on his face as well. I didn't yeah. realize he was Christopher Lloyd for a little bit because like that chin really. 
threw you off. Yeah, yeah, really. But then when you hear him talk, especially when he starts going over his plan, and he yeah. starts doing the Christopher Lloyd kind of yell, yeah. I made this vehicle. Yeah, he also, yeah, yeah they made yeah. this vehicle. It's a Delor- it? it's a dip machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Diplorian. Yeah, it's it's he's so good though. And uh, if, if you're a fan of Christopher Lloyd messing around with cartoons, uh, can I just recommend to everyone the excellent mid-90s point-and-click adventure Toonstruck, currently available on Steam. Uh, <laughs> he plays um, uh, an animator who gets trapped in his own cartoons and has to try and find his way out. And I, I think that that game is very much in the spirit of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. It's essentially like if they took the Toontown section made it better uh, because with a computer game you had slightly better or slightly different options and the technology had advanced. Yeah. But um, Christopher Lloyd is just so good at acting with cartoons yeah. um, or acting as cartoons. Yeah. And he's, he's just wonderful in this. And mm. uh, you, know, you forget just how many great performances he did in that sort of mid-80s to mid-90s period because you've got the Back to the Future trilogy. Yeah. You've got, um, um, oh, what's it called? Um uh, the the Adams Family films where oh, he's yeah. Uncle Fester. Yeah, he's he's Fester. He's like Skinny Fester in this. Yeah, yeah, he is like Skinny Fester, <laughs> and yeah, he he's just a phenomenal, physical, goofy looking performer. Um, mm. and, and it's just he's just great. Yeah, no, he's he's top. He's amazing in this. I, I thought his character as well was very well designed. Um, we talked about it before how uh, I didn't pick out how he was like, he was a tune. Mm. Yeah, but one of my notes was literally, oh, it's kind of. I like how they're going for he hates toons, but is such a cartoonish villain. Yeah. And then the final twist is, of course, he's a toon inside a human suit. One of, <laughs> one of my favourite things to like think about now is going to be you watching the bit where he gets rolled over because they don't cut away. Yeah. Any I other film, like, they, they'd allow someone to get... They'd allow like someone, Wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'd allow someone to get run over like that mm. in yeah. a film, but they'd always cut away. But you're seeing it, and you're, you're seeing it, going. and you're not not seeing it, and, and you're then just they cut back to him whilst afterwards, and that that's just before he got up. I'm like, oh, of course, oh, he's yeah, a tune. Okay. yeah, yeah. We get some of that weird kind of Tim Burtony, kind but of just way, before because yeah. they they lingered on it a little bit too long. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, I yeah, get it now. Because otherwise yeah. they just go, you, you just cut to react facial reactions of everyone going, yeah, poor yeah. Judge Dooms. Splat. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. Um, obviously, we've, we've not yet touched on the uh, titular character, Roger Rabbit himself. Um, <laughs> not that kind of titular. No, no, no. <laughs> we'll get to her in a second. Um, uh, yeah. Um, what, what did we think of, of, of Roger Rabbit as this, um, I, I suppose, as like a, a sort of original-ish sort of cartoon creation that isn't quite Disney and isn't quite mm. Looney Tunes. It's sort of covering a whole lot of bases. When he first showed up, I was worried about him overstaying his welcome. Mm-hmm. I was getting like, oh, this is going to be like a Jar Jar kind of character where they mm. go for like the goofball aspect too hard. Mm. But he had some layers to him. Yeah. And every scene he was in, they would give you just enough of him. And then they would go to another scene with just with, without a minute for a bit. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they gave you breaks from him because you aren't, really meant to like Roger Rabbit yeah. that much. Our kids are. Yes. Yeah. I remember liking Roger Rabbit a lot more yeah. when I was younger watching this than I did watching it. Like, every now and then, like, oh, jeez, it's like... It, it's, it's intense. He's intense, yeah. and he's a bit too much. And because Valiant is always so annoyed with them, you yeah. are so annoyed yeah, with you, him as well. You, yeah, yeah, I think as a kid, you like Roger Rabbit more, and you're, you you find it funny that he's winding up the angry adult. Yeah. yeah. And I guess maybe now, but now we're, that we're angry, angry adults. adults. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it is interesting, though, the, the, the performance uh, by um, 
uh, the, the voice actor was Charles Fleischer, um, who, who does this wonderful thing with Roger Rabbit, where it's a high pitched voice uh, and it's it's quite simpering and it's it's a bit unintelligible. And he has that thing where he goes in the middle of sentences, and it should be more annoying than it is. Yeah, but I think I think it's just right. I think the the performance, the look, and everything works really well. And also, if you if you took away the cartoon aspect, if this was like a typical 40s film noir with, with actual actors, then he would be like the, um, you know, the 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 Jimmy Stewart, essentially, yeah. of, of, of that time period. And it's it's about these actors getting wrapped up in this this big overall mm. scheme. Um, yeah, I think, but I think you're right, just the right amount, because yeah. otherwise it would have gotten irritating. Um, and then obviously opposite um, him, we have his, uh, his uh, darling wife, Jessica Rabbit. Mm. Yes. Um, who is a such a good film noir femme fatale yeah it's unbelievable well they've they boiled a lot of characters down into their most basic essence and that yeah. is that and she is essentially the femme fatale yeah now like I, if yeah. you picture it it kind of is jessica rabbit yeah. more than it is oh for sure everybody yeah. else that she's based off she's kind of supplanted mm. them by being almost a Sexy so, Frankenstein's monster, yeah. kind of amalgamating but all also of the different bits. Somewhat uh, a, a subversion of the character a little bit. Yeah. And that, that was the one thing I knew about a character going in, is, is the line... Um, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn I'm that just way. I'm just drawn that way, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is such yeah. a great line. Yeah. And it, yeah, and it kind of, sums her up perfectly. Yeah. yeah, and they're very aware of that line because Bob Hoskins spends two seconds kind of looking at her with a bit of a surprised look for a while. So yeah. they obviously knew that was the line to sum her up on as well. Yeah, and it's it's just such a, a great performance. And I really love the... I mean, obviously, it's, it's Bob Hoskins that I'm enjoying in this, but like the interactions between Eddie Valiant and Jessica Rabbit and mm. just how Bob is, um, is performing in this sense where he's obviously he doesn't trust her, but he finds her attractive. That sort of typical film noir yeah. um, characteristic. And he's acting against essentially nothing. Yeah, and that's the more impressive part. Like this kind of day and age, you would have somebody in there. You yeah. would have the the actress be there, and you'd shop it out and then put it back in, or some something along those lines. Mm. Like it'll be interesting to see what the new Mary Poppins film does with that too. The Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah, I was going to say is Jessica sure. Rabbit in. Mary no, Poppins? but there is that mixture of um, <laughs> the animation, animation yeah. and whatnot, yeah. which I guess. This kind of film can be compared to like Mary Poppins and Bedknobs and Broomsticks where they had that animation yeah. style. Mm. While and it felt kind of a bit less crisp in a way. In I, in this? Yeah, or? comparing the Mary Poppins well, style. Like that was they very... never really had major interactions in those films. No. It was kind of the the was, real actors would be mm. in the scene while the scene happens around them. Yeah. yeah and it was yeah. a lot of it was a lot of dancing. It was a lot of stuff that was sort of you, you, you suspend you, your disbelief yeah, for you anyway. Watch Dick Van Dyke for a while and yeah. then the peng, like the penguins can easily be drawn in. Yeah, you also yeah. had Dick Van Dyke's accent like distracting everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, it's um it it is yeah, it, it is an interesting balance and mm. I, I just think it's such a a technically superb film oh and yeah like there, there was a moment where um we're watching um just after he leaves the studio for the first time eddie valiant and you see the cartoons the human characters interacting yeah and you've got the like the stalk on the bicycle or the pelican on the bicycle and you've got the brooms that are sweeping up and there's they have the brooms yeah, yeah. but the, the, then there's actual brooms yes. and stuff and it's just it's such a wonderful mishmash it's it's great and i i, th- I think a big part is you do forgive it it's faults for how ambitious it was i think so yeah i yeah. think you almost get 
charmed and impressed by it to yes. forgive it slack of finesse. Like we would, you, it would be much smoother to the point mm. that you kind of forget it, which is kind of what we do in films these days. If mm. they have a large CG kind of characters like Gollum or Thanos or what yeah, have you, yeah. mm. those kind of characters you just kind of forget um, because there was no such thing as kind of acting as a cartoon back mm. in those days. You did voice and you did, yeah, you did the animation, but mm. you never mixed those two. You never had like the Andy Circus kind of character sitting in there being who they are. Yeah. Although, yeah, it is it is interesting how essentially the, the methods that they utilised in this, even though it was still more with traditional animation, mm. I, I think very much helped sort of kickstart a move towards incorporating those sorts of things in yeah. the future. For sure, it was groundbreaking in that yeah. regard. Yeah. yeah, and it was... And even the um, cartooning as well was quite groundbreaking for the time because mm. this... To give you, this is the point where we go into the bit of the history of Disney, which Carmen and Nicola yep. trained me well for. <laughs> um, this film came out, we talked about it at the beginning while we were watching the film, that it's not a Disney film, mm. even though Disney wrote it. It's considered Touchstone, which was Disney's more adult, well, not adult brand, but less yeah. Disney-centric brand. And at yeah. this point, Disney stunk. A lot of the ways. This is 1988. This is, yeah, the year before. Uh, 19, the, yeah, 1988. This 88, is the yeah. year before The Little Mermaid, which is what a lot of people call the Disney Renaissance. Yeah, yeah, of course. Which is where, like, after Walt Disney died, they plummeted. They mm. were talking about even selling off the parks yeah. at a few points because they weren't getting anywhere with everything they were trying to push. This is a period where they're, like, reusing animation and stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so we we kind of enter there, and they one of the reasons this film was made was because they thought that if we can push hand-drawn animation in this kind of way, that's us being impressive. Mm. Then they kind of got cold feet because it was meant to be a Disney film. It was meant to have all the Disney stuff on it. So mm. um, in the end, it was released by Touchstone, which is still Disney, I think, essentially it's Buena Vista now. Mm. So yeah, Touchstone is the red cap to Disney's Cloverleaf. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> essentially yeah, yeah. what it was. And um, yeah, I, I think it is interesting. I hadn't considered that, that this mm. was Disney in the... You know, in the because there's no, yeah, there's no Little Mermaid, there's no Beauty and the Beast, there's no yeah. Lion King. Yeah, no, no. It's, all, it's all very old basic characters. Well, it is also based in 47, yeah. so everything's going right, to come yeah, from there, well. so you can't yeah. even get Sleeping Beauty, because yeah. I mean, that's too old. I mean, they, they, they didn't, they weren't hard and fast with that, you know, they had like the Penguins and Mary Poppins, for example, but, yes. but which is much later, but, but at the same time, it was very much focused on that, that heyday of those cartoons, so, you know, when... They reference Goofy a lot uh, as being a big celebrity because Goofy was Goofy one was of the big cartoon big, stars. Yeah. Um, mm. And obviously, you know, you've got... I, what I really he was liked, top for a while. Too. He, he was, beat yeah. Mickey and Donald for a long time. Like, Goofy oh, yeah. was the guy. Yeah. And he had a lot more to do in this than... Like, he kept showing up, whereas Mickey and, and Donald were maybe in one scene each. There's a reason behind that, too. Yes. I figure Mickey would be the character that Disney wouldn't want to put front and center for their branding, or... To an extent, it was more the fact that... And mm. well, it, it'll pop up when we get into the trivia shortly uh, but, but it's a good fact and i think yeah. we should talk about we'll, it more. we'll, we'll yeah. throw it in right now yeah uh they had to have mickey and bugs and donald and daffy had to have the exact same amount of screen time like warner oh, brothers said you can't give donald more screen time than daffy right Our da- we'll give you daffy if you do this yeah for like a like i think it was was it 500 or five thousand dollars each for every character they wanted to borrow, yeah, I think it was like five thousand dollars. And I said that, but with the caveat that you like you that Bugs gets them. the same amount of time as Mickey, 
Yeah. And Donald gets the same. And they got times. around that one specifically by having they them hang out, they have they have them in the exact same scenes. Yeah. 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 So Daffy and Donald are always in the same scenes yeah. as um, Mickey and Bugs. Like, yeah. That's yeah. why they're both doing the skydive. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the end, when all those cartoons come in, all those characters are together near the front. Yes. Um, because yeah. that was part of the deal. This is the only film where Disney and Warner Brothers characters have appeared together on screen. Like it's mm. not happened again since. No. Like it was no. a very there was a lot of goodwill. Again, I think, I'm probably going to mention Ready, Ready Player, Player One. One technically. Oh, are they are they in the Ready I, Player One? I would not not doubt it. Okay. Uh, so, and, well, and you you mentioned uh, Boba Fett and Harley Quinn. Which yeah, are that's technically essentially Disney and Warner. That's a Disney and Warner yeah. Brothers too. Okay, so. maybe specifically cartoon characters. Yeah, maybe, let's, yeah. let's revise. Maybe that. the maybe the <laughs> yeah Mickey Mouse and Looney Tunes. Yeah. Um, I wanted to also mention um, there's a really interesting and maybe it's just interesting to me because I like this kind of social history kind of thing but there is like really what they're doing with this idea of the humans and the tunes which i think is something we should also talk about like how did you andrew is your first yeah. kind of thing we talked about like the genres mixing of like cartoon and noir but what about this idea of like the tunes existing in the world how did you find that uh you mean the the cultural metaphor yeah the, well not the cultural metaphor but even just how they're there like you know i guess yeah the cultural metaphor as well uh, i mean uh, the way i was reading it uh, would be that in this case they're, they're quite allegorical for uh, African Americans. Yes, um, that is like it. even like the the culture appropriation and mostly shown in the the human only tune club. Yeah, yeah which, the tunes serve and the humans yeah, get to be exactly just like um like white culture appropriating jazz and intro. Mm opening jazz clubs where black musicians can perform, but yeah. it's not their club. And that being an entertainment being one of the acceptable jobs yes, as well. Exactly. I think that's, that's interesting because I, I was getting those same vibes as well. And it's only just occurred to me that the, the crows from Dumbo are the musicians yes. when Jessica Rabbit's yeah. playing, which again, they were very, very motivated, yeah, very <laughs> deliberately chosen in that sense yes, because I, of the history of those characters. Yeah. And yeah, I think that allegory, um, Again, it's it's a really clever way of demonstrating that, but without um, throwing in a big discussion mm. of, of of race on top of everything else. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a bit like um, District Nine how the, how it does that. Well, yeah, instead yeah. of being with the prawns, yeah, yeah, with the um, with the aliens, mm. but also even the theme of what actually goes on in it is an issue that came up in the 1940s and still comes up now of this kind of gentrification, mm. which is the rich people want something but it's literally where the poor people live or mm. the other minorities or the other lives. Yeah. And so the idea is we just mow it down, get rid of it. The castle is essentially about yeah, gentrification. Because, Which is yeah. where the allegory got a bit muddy for me because the guy doing, doing it, is, it is also a tune himself. Yeah, but that, yeah. I think that, I don't think that's meant to be read there, but that's hypocrisy of it yes, in a way sure, too. He's, sure. an, he's an Uncle Tom character, literally. Mm. Like he is betraying his own kind to um to further himself and so that's i think it so you're meant to even think worse of him mm. and it is maybe a little bit of shifting blame but i think that's where it start, kind of starts to go okay we're getting more into cartoons yeah. and even the way that they say tunes mm. it is almost said to them with a with a spit and a spite yeah. especially oh, when yeah. he's angry yeah, yeah. i don't know as town. A, yeah tunes yeah. and it's yeah. it's it's literally almost like it is a racial slur yeah it's yeah, and I think it's it, it's very clever how it does that, and I think mm. again, it's not something you see often uh, tackled in children's entertainment. No, uh, maybe Zootopia is the more recent oh, example yeah. that that does it 
a lot less subtly. Uh, but yeah, the- <laughs> that one that one hits you over the head, but yeah. you do sit there just going, "Wow!" Yeah, you get yeah. about halfway through and you go, "Oh, yeah." Okay. yeah like Lutopia is a way darker film than this, yeah. and this is a noir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting how I, I think it's an interesting allegory, and I think it is done. I think it's done pretty much as perfectly as it needs to be for this film because this film is also not meant to be too serious. Yeah. Like a lot of the seriousness is used to make the humor stand out more as well. Um, yeah. But having that commentary and those those um, those layers there, which were present from the noir section, yeah. but um, having the the sort of tune cartoony touch to it, um, I think is it's just very. Clever. I, I think they should be commended for uh, tackling these kinds of issues for mm. sure. But it does get a little bit muddy at times, especially because I... the the thing that stood out to me. <laughs> And it's kind of small. Was the racist bullets? Yeah. Oh, the, just the the fact that there was a Native American bullet that very stereotypically Native American and, and then made the, the uh, pigtails and and yeah, then the wah yeah. wah wah sound. Yes. Yeah. Um, Which is a little. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would argue that's more of a holdover from the cartoons of that time period. For as sure. Opposed to, For there's sure. also the um like the baby Herman. But like you know, slapping women on the butt and yeah. things like yeah. that. Yeah, which is which, is, which also becomes is mm. and the, what are the filmmakers trying to show there? Are they showing at how dirty Hollywood is and like the scumbags? I think, so. I think it's just, just say, such uh, yeah, an yeah. anti ba- like a very unbaby like thing for a baby. Yeah. To I got do. the lust of a fifty year old and the pee pee of a three year old. I did yeah, think that was a good line. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> I, yeah it, it, again, it, it, any points? Yeah, he does point. <laughs> and it push it pushes in those areas. I think the the um, certainly the the um, representation of Native American munitions is <laughs> is troubling. Uh, but but at the same time, it's it's one of those things that I think is you know it's the holdover from those cartoons. Oh yeah, but they obviously made very deliberate decisions to, because some of those old Looney Tunes and Disney cartoons were quite racist. Very, oh yeah, and obviously they've they've moved away from that. They, um, I, I, you know, there's even the fact there is only a brief animation of one of the Song of the South characters. Yeah, I was going to say I couldn't see any. Yeah, Brer Bear is uh, very briefly one in the in the lot. Oh yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah, um, but obviously. A lot of people don't tend to know who those characters are because Song of the South is so notoriously difficult to to find. To you only find. know yes. Brer Bear from um, Splash Mountain. Yeah, exactly. So if you've ever been on that ride. Yeah, so I, I think it is interesting that they've they've done that. But I also feel as though, um, yeah, I think if they were making this film today, the Wild West themed bullets would that would probably, be a gag that would go a little bit differently. Yeah, for they, sure. they'd, they'd all be cowboys probably. Yeah, yeah they might yeah. still keep the one that's wearing the bandolero uh, and, the, and the sombrero, but <laughs> yeah. I mean the, that that bullet didn't do anything in this film. It no. was it was yeah the one Native American bullet and the three that speak like this. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 and, and then got distracted and kind of wandered off. Yeah, so, which is really bad for a bullet to do. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It just makes me want to play Red Dead Redemption 2, though. That yeah. was, I was looking at it going, ah, oh, I could be playing that. And then, <laughs> then the train came up. I'm like, oh, I'm all Red Dead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, This is dating this episode. Yeah, yeah. You're going to know when it came out. Yeah, late 2018, baby. <laughs> Woo! All right, let's get some trivia on the roll. Yes. Um, the three ingredients of the dip that kill tunes are turpentine, acetone, and benzene. Uh, all of these are paint thinners, which are used to remove animation from cells. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, I just thought that's really great. That is yes. quite clever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a very much a it's a filmmaker's joke. Yeah, that they would have sat there going, "It should be made of this." I, yeah, I, yeah. I love someone it. really was very happy about having that in there. Yeah. Oh, probably most of the people. It's, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really liked uh, when Bob Hoskins walks into the out of order men's bathroom in Toontown before he realizes there's no floor and falls. The graffiti on the wall, which says, "For a good time, call Allison 
Wonderland. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just like, that's quite a dirty joke to have in there. I, I really <laughs> thought that was great. Um, Bob Hoskins said that for two weeks after seeing the movie, his young son wouldn't talk to him. When finally asked why, his son said that he couldn't believe his father would work with cartoon characters and not let him meet them. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and it, it was I very mean, selfish of him. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, it worked. Like as as a kid, like this. I, I think more than anything, the big direct consequence of this film is Space Jam. Yeah, and Space Jam oh, yeah. for for people who were born in the late eighties to early to mid nineties, Space Jam is. You know, you, you just go the film. Yeah, if, if, a if cultural you, touchstone. Yeah, yeah, if you shout out and go, "Come on and slam," they'll all start joining Jam. in. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so it's. It, <laughs> I just think that's such a lovely story, though. Are we all ready for this? <laughs> ah. uh, yeah, it's. Um, but that's such a lovely story. Um, mm. That yeah, you would be mad if your dad was hanging out with Bugs Bunny and, and you didn't get to go meet him. Yeah. yeah. Um, with an estimated production budget of $70 million at the time Damn. of its release, yeah. it's the most expensive film that was made in the 1980s. Damn. Mm. Is there an allocation of how much of that was purely animation? Uh, probably, but not in front of me. Um, <laughs> I, I it do... ran over budget. Yeah. Like, it was never meant to cost Doesn't that surprise much. Me, Originally, no. they, they aimed for 50. Mm-hmm. They aimed for 50. The studio wanted them to do it for 30. They eventually said, no, we need to do it for 50. And then it ended up costing 70. Of they, they agreed yeah. they were going to pull the plug for a long time. Yeah. Um, Michael Eisner was in charge of Disney. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, he was like, no, nah, this isn't going to work. And there was another guy who used to be his... Used to kind of con- not control him, but kind of be his guide sometimes. His yeah. Jiminy Cricket, I guess, for lack of a better word. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, he said, no, we'll just try because, you know, we are still not in the Disney Renaissance yet. I mean, they'd mm. obviously call it that. Yeah, we've got but a Renaissance coming. We've got a Renaissance <laughs> coming, like, seriously. He's got to hold out. But, yeah, and that was it, like, because what really made the Renaissance in the end was, oh, we should go back to actually doing fairy tales. And yeah. this was this attempt to go, well, maybe fairy tales are still old, mm. yeah. so we don't want them. So maybe something like Who Framed Roger Rabbit could boost Disney's um, yeah. chances of actually, you know, getting their animation back up. Do you yeah. know how much it made? Do you have that in front of you? Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I do know that it did make a profit. It, yeah. was, yeah. it was profitable. Cool. Um, this this was a big hit film. Awesome. Like, and it was also one of those first films that but, did well in home video yeah. release. But they oh, actually yeah. didn't kind of expect it to. The mm. first few test audiences. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you've got the, that. The very next point. Uh, the first test audience was comprised mostly of 18 and 19-year-olds. Oh, that's the wrong time. Yeah, and they the hated it. Yeah. <laughs> um, nearly the entire audience walked out. Although Zemeckis, uh, who had the option on Final Cut, said he wasn't changing a thing. thing. No. <laughs> He's like these kids, these teenagers don't understand. Stick to your guns. Yeah, yeah. stick it to your the children who are wrong. guns. <laughs> um, when Eddie takes Roger Rabbit into the back room in the bar where Dolores works, um, there's the lamp from the ceiling that gets bumped and swings. Yeah, lots of extra work was needed because they had to make the shadows in the actual room match the shadows of Roger. Yeah, uh, yeah. as he was going. Today, the term "bump the lamp" is a term used by Disney employees to refer uh, to going that extra mile on an effect just to make it more special, even though most of the audience probably won't notice. Yeah, the one time I noticed was in um, the carport when they go back to talk to the uh, the head of the the company. Oh, the Maroon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maroon. Um, and I, I, I noticed, that's when I noticed his, uh, Roger's shadow on the wall. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, they've been doing that this whole film. Yeah. And, and that, you didn't notice. And I did not notice. And as soon as it becomes too aware, you are like, oh, that is a cartoon made... 
Yeah, like, yeah. coloured in shadow yeah, for sure. There but, was one point we were joking about it too, and it, it might even just be a cut error where Bob Hoskins' cartoon gun just suddenly becomes a normal gun. It is. It's just a prop. It's a prop. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a thick dumb. And clearly they they run out of animation prop. or something to like go over it, or yeah. they forgot, or, or something, they just forgot, yeah. yeah, or whether there was an issue where they're like, oh, this we need to put this cut in. I mean, and... it, it's a cool looking prop though. Yeah, it is. yeah. No, it, I love that gun. It looked very cartoony, even the yeah. the, the real one that you yeah. had. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, it was still like thick and kind of chunky. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, when the Toon Train hit the dip machine at the end, each window of the train shows a murder or death taking place if what? you view it frame by frame. What? Yeah, so if you go So back... because of the dip? Yeah, because it, it... Well, it, I think so, yeah. Not well, like... They haven't cut it's, in... It's like... not like the chicken's head getting cut off in Willy Wonka. I don't think it's that, but yeah. Okay. So if you go back and pause it, you can see these depictions really of death. I'm curious to see what I did. I'm going to look that up yeah. afterwards. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, there were a couple of alternate actors that were considered for various roles. Oh, this is, yeah. For Judge Doom, they considered Tim Curry. I mean, I could see that. Uh, he gave her a performance that Robert Zemeckis, Spielberg, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner all found too terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I can also see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, for fans of Toonstruck, if you want to see what that would have looked like, Tim Curry plays the villain in that game. Opposite oh, awesome. Christopher Lloyd. He plays Count Nefarious. Sounds like that whole game is just a love letter. Yeah. It really is. Honestly, to be honest... Are there any clue references in there too? Because that was another film those two did together. There's bound to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll play it and I'll let you guys yeah, know. Guys, yeah. don't stop watching Roger Rabbit. Just go play Toonstruck. <laughs> I love that game so much. Um, on the special edition DVD, Robert Zemeckis recounts that he had stated in a newspaper interview that Bill Murray was his and Spielberg's original choice for the role of Eddie Valiant, but they couldn't get in contact with him. Uh, Bill Murray is famous for being difficult to get All in touch with. All he has is with. an yeah. answering machine instead of an agent, and yeah, he'll either yeah. call you back or he won't. Yeah. Uh, Bill Murray, in turn, has stated that when he read the interview that said this, he was in a public place and screamed his lungs out. Because <laughs> yeah. he, he would have accepted the role. Oh, jeez. I don't think he would have been as good. No. He couldn't have been so as straight faced. Like Bill Murray would be okay. Yeah. But he like Eddie Valiant would be more depressed than angry. Mm. Like yes. Bill Murray yeah. is depressed. While he, while Bob Hoskins rage. has yeah. rage. He, he's seething under the yeah. surface the entire time. And like, you know, when it explodes in Bill Murray, it's nowhere near what it would be for Bob Hoskins. No. Yeah. The original, original person according to not according to IMDb, but according to something else, mm. uh, uh, podcast Carmen made me listen to, mm-hmm. was Harrison Ford. Wow. Yeah, okay. I, I have read that. You and, have read that, uh, yeah. He was before Bill Murray. It was Ford Murray yeah. Hoskins. I, the Ford Murray Hoskins was my favourite automobile. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah. Harrison Ford, I think, would have been so good in this. I, I would watch cartoon Blade Runner. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah, no, it is cartoon Blade Runner. <laughs> I think they, they could just take cuts of Blade Runner yeah. and overlay the animation on that. He'd just grab yeah. the ma- magnifying glass when looking at the picture and going, zoom in and out, zoom, zoom in and out. <laughs> um, I yeah. think, but also I think that would make, like, Bob Hoskins isn't sexy. Like, I'm sorry to. Uh, you to, saw him with his shirt off. You did see yeah, him with his I, shirt I, I had that in the, yeah. yeah, but he's like, a very and, different character. To and what that Harrison would it, like, there's. I think with if you had Harrison Ford and Jessica Rabbit, that's a lot of sexiness. Yeah, in one too bit, much. and it would be about them. Like you know, yeah. you, you look yeah. at Jessica Rabbit and you look at Bob Hoskins, and like Harrison Ford would be on her level. The, the thing it would the thing become is, even more weirdly sexual. Harrison yeah. Ford. I don't think he can play a character that you can reasonably reasonably believe doesn't have his life together. 
just because point. how yeah. he looks and how he yeah. how suave he is. Whereas Bob Hoskin, you yeah. see without a shirt off, and you're like, he's got the bowl patch. Yeah. he's got. You can see alcohol everywhere. You're like, oh, I can see you as a man who's fallen apart. Yeah, yeah. Harrison Ford is at best like in Blade Runner and like in some things. He's a beautiful mess. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like he could be a mess, yeah. but you'd still sit there going, okay, he's got most of it together. Yeah. But Bob yeah. Hoskins is sitting there going, oh, what are you doing hanging around with those kids? On the Even Harrison Ford at his lowest, you look at him and be like, I, I would still have your life. Yeah, but, yeah. But uh, Bob Hoskins, you look at him and you're like, I don't want to be you right now. Yeah, yeah. you feel more <laughs> sympathy for Bob Hoskins. Every frame of the movie which featured a mixture of animation and live action had to be printed up as a still photograph. An animator would then draw the particular illustration for that frame on tracing paper set on top of the photo. The outline drawing then had to be hand-coloured. Once that was done, the drawing had to be composited back into the original frame using an optical printer. No wonder they went over budget. Yeah. yeah. That that just sounds like an absolute nightmare, and I love animators for yeah. persisting. <laughs> it's That's insane. Yeah. yeah, people who draw can be very committed to what they're drawing. Oh, yeah. But I guess it's about getting something from your mind onto a page. Yeah, or so. into a million little slides. Yeah, into yeah. 24 in a second. Yeah. For an hour and a half or two hour film, or however long that one was. Mm. Uh, to give Jessica's ample bosom an unusual bounce, her supervising animator, Russell Hall, reversed the natural up-down movements of her breasts as she walked. They bounce up, whereas a real woman's breast bounce down and vice versa. <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> Guys, I'm, I'm going to animate this one. Uh, you don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm a supervising animator. Uh, okay, so uh, who's in charge of Boop? Russell, yep. yeah. Yeah, okay. the other one. Yeah, okay. I suppose when you become the supervisor, you get to, yeah, uh, yeah. You get to pick what you get to do. <laughs> um, several voice actors make cameos as the voices of characters they've played before. Um, obviously, Tony and Salamo oh, yep. as uh, Donald Duck. Uh, we had Wayne Allwine as Mickey Mouse. Mel Blanc was uh, Bugs, Daffy, Porky Pig, Sylvester, and Tweety Bird. Mm. It was uh, one of his last performances. It, pretty as much, because he died wow. the following year. So, yeah, yeah. Space, yeah, yeah. He, yeah he did, did he die the following 89, year? 89, yeah. yeah. It was when he died. Wow, what a timing. Because then they handed out a lot of his characters to multiple. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, most of them Futurama voice actors, too. Yeah. Um, um, the most notable actor to come back and reprise their role though was may questel who re revoiced betty boop oh yeah um she did betty's voice from 1930 until the character was retired in 39 she then uh went on to become the voice of olive oil from the popeye cartoons i did love that joke Hmm. about the the colorless tunes being put out to dry yeah (laughs) they've been much work since Tunes went colour. Yeah. yeah. It is It is really lovely. And yeah, getting her back, that's just fantastic. It is, yeah. Um, Bob Hoskins claimed that Jessica Rabbit had not yet been sketched by the animators when filming wrapped, and he had no idea what the character would look like. Robert Zemeckis told Hoskins to imagine his ideal sexual fantasy. Hoskins claimed that his mental image was less risque than what Jessica looked like in the final <laughs> film. I'm not sure that's true. Uh, no, I, I could see it's that. I think it like would. Yeah. I don't think it probably had like you know the dimensions of like you know 84 to 26 or whatever she yeah, was. Yeah, insane. Uh, John Cleese expressed an interest in playing Judge Doom. Yeah. Oh, wow. But Spielberg and Zemeckis refused because they thought nobody would take a former member of Monty Python seriously as a sadistic villain. (laughs) Mm, I'm thinking of the other Pythons, like Chapman, maybe. Yeah. He he was still knocking around then, but like Michael Palin, no. No, No, actually, do you know who they originally wanted to get to direct it? Uh, Who? Was it Gilliam? It was Gilliam. so up Gilliam Street. It is, but Gilliam actually looked at it and go, he literally went and like saw it because it was a book first. It mm. wasn't ever going to be a Spielberg thing. I think 
Disney ended up with the rights. They got Spielberg in and Spielberg said, get Zemeckis to direct. Right. So, um, and because originally they handed it to Gilliam and said, you know, would you like to do this? And he just looked at me and went, nah, too hard. Yeah, like, Obviously, it's too, you're like... And if you're not passionate about this, you don't want to be diving into it. No, you've sure. got to have that passion of Spielberg and oh, yeah. Zemeckis in this to yeah. get that. Yeah. Uh, 326 animators worked full-time on the film. God. In total, 82,080 frames of animation were drawn, including storyboards and concept art. Animator director Richard Williams estimates that over a million drawings were done for the film. I would just sleep after working on that. Yeah. yeah. It's ironic that they would probably have done um, less drawings had it been full animation, yeah. as opposed to just yeah. half animation. Yeah, for sure, yeah. they, like a lot of a lot of wrist braces at the end of that. Yeah, <laughs> just, that would have been a nightmare. I would never pick up a pen again. No. <laughs> um, to get the feel of acting with cartoon characters, because obviously, as we established, Bob Hoskins was not really acting opposite anything. Uh, he studied how his three-year-old daughter played with her imaginary friends. Mm. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, some wouldn't because he's still annoyed about the whole yeah. Donald Duck thing. <laughs> yeah, Dad, you wouldn't let me meet bugs. Mm. Uh, initially, there were seven weasels um, to parody the seven dwarves. Uh, the names of those seven weasels were Greasy, Sleazy, Wheezy, Smarter, Psycho, Stupid, and Slimy. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And most of those obviously made it into the film. Yeah, it's a spin-off. Yeah, five? Five in the end, five, yeah. 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 Yeah, you don't need seven weasels. The five no, were The, the five wasn't enough that you sit there just going, okay, there's the one in the pink suit. Yeah. And yeah, then the one with the straight jacket, and then the one the with the crazy eyes. The smoky yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought there were four. I wasn't sure the entire time. There's there's like a green one in a. Well, there's one in a green suit and one in a pink suit. And yeah. Quite yeah. similar. Like, pink suit's obviously leader. The tunnel through which uh, Valiant drives <laughs> to reach Toontown is the same tunnel used in Back to, to the, the Future, Future Part 2 uh, for mm. the hoverboard versus Biff's Ford chasing. <laughs> hoverboard versus car. Yeah. Uh, Zemeckis also directed that film. Lloyd was in it. And Alan Silvestri composed the music for both. Mm. Oh, okay. So, you can hear... Like, yeah, you were saying it's very Back to the Future. Yeah, like it. I remember it being quite Back to the Future in the mm. first third of it had like very little of it but then when you get into the chase and the thing it's got yeah definitely has that feel and that music to it yeah Mm. for this movie animation director richard williams set out to break three rules that were previously conventions for combining live action and animation number one move the camera as much as possible so tunes don't look pasted onto flat backgrounds number two use lighting and shadows to an extreme that was never before attempted and number three have the tunes interact with real world objects as much as possible Mm. and they hit all those beats for sure they did i think one of my favorite points about the reactions and it was um odd is at the beginning of the film where he's arguing with his director raul Raul, Raul, yeah yeah um who's joel silver apparently who Mm. is uh um, producer, one of the very famous producers who did The Matrix and a whole bunch oh, of other okay. things. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, but when, because he keeps tugging on the jacket that he's carrying, going, no, I can do the yeah, yeah. the star, stars. Yeah, no. The yeah, stars. stars yeah. yeah, it wasn't birds that he wanted. Yeah. But um, there's a couple of points where Roger reaches for the jacket and the jacket already is being pulled. Because like, it's <laughs> obviously on a wire. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. You walk that way and we'll tug it every now and then. Mm. To get that effect, but every now and then it like almost he catches it yeah. as it's moving towards yeah. him. And gets there were definitely pulled. a couple of points like that throughout it. Yeah, but for the most part, it, it was very it blended very well. Yeah. And I think you forgive those things too because of the charm and the yeah, yeah. the artistic effort that yeah. went in. Oh, yeah. and, and also, I I don't think it's 
super noticeable. Like no. I think if you're going in analysing this very much yeah, on, I mean, on how it's done, then yeah, you'll notice things like that and errors here and there. And a guy who likes looking at special effects like me kind of goes, going, mm. oh, that would be how they do it. Let's yeah. see yeah. what we can find. I mean, how much did you notice as Mr. First Timer? Uh, like how many things didn't really flow properly? Yeah. There were a couple of times, especially when Jessica Rabbit was interacting with people, mm. where it didn't quite flow properly. Mm. Um but I think that stuck out because she was interacting a lot with people. Yeah, yeah, um, because she has to touch people to be sensual. Yes, mm. exactly. Um, that, that, those were the main moments I noticed, though. Yeah. Mm. During filming, Charles Fleischer delivered Roger the Rabbit's lines off camera in a full Roger Rabbit costume. <laughs> yes. Uh, during breaks, when he was in costume, other staff members, other staff members from the studio, would see him and make comments about the poor caliber of the effects in the Rabbit film. <laughs> <laughs> Because he didn't put a rabbit costume on, he just wore the outfit? Or... He wore rabbit ears, yellow gloves, oh. orange overalls. He dressed as close to Roger Rabbit as he could. Good. Okay, and I thought he was just in the bow tines. And they so. kept telling him, you're not going to be in the film like this. And he went, I don't care. <laughs> Bob needs this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Bob and, needs me. Yes. Bob needs me! <laughs> uh, the gag of the tomb pelican falling off his bicycle came about by accident. Originally, the pelican would have ridden straight past the camera, but the effects technicians were unable to keep the bike up right. That's great. <laughs> so, yeah, they ended up just walking, working it in that he yeah, fell off. As an effects That's technician, fun. in a way, I yeah. love that. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of thing I could see doing. Be like, well, it doesn't quite work, but I have another idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, yeah, it sucks, so we're gonna make it suck. Exactly, embrace the suckiness. Yeah, I was gonna wonder about that with your background as kind of effects and what. Yeah, like, yeah. How, um, how much you kind of loved the effects? And I did like, like just watching all the objects move every time. I'd be like, are those wires, or do they have something under the stage? I, I was trying yeah. to analyze how they did all of that. Yeah, especially um, like because early on they are throwing a lot of it at you, like. The, yeah, yeah. Like the Daffy and Donald duet, yes. for lack of a better word. How it's clear they're just sitting there just kind of banging things around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Make it it's very, yeah. I'd mm. love to know what rigs I had set up for all of that. Yeah. yeah. The song at the end of the film, Smile, Danya, Smile, was recorded by most of the film's animators doing their best character voices. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, which is a yeah, nice way to get them all involved. Yeah. While their wrists are recovering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've blown my voice out too. Yeah, you haven't spoken for a year and a half. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, to convince the Disney and Amblin executives that they could make the movie, the filmmakers shot a short test involving Roger bumping into some crates in an alley and then getting picked up by a version of Valiant played by Joey Pants himself, Joey Pantoliano. Oh, mm. he he played Valiant in this in this test. In this little version, I don't know who he's in the Matrix. Yeah, he's Cipher in the Matrix. Oh, um, okay, yeah, and yeah. Um, Daredevil. Oh, the old, oh, was old he Dead Eye? Yeah. No, no, he was oh. um he was the reporter friend. Okay, yeah. Um, that was going to spoil some of the actual Marvel Netflix Daredevil. I haven't watched, but it yeah, yet. no, okay, yeah, I'll leave it. Yeah. But yeah, he's in that. He's in um. He's in one of the voices in Grand Theft Auto 3. He's, oh, the, he's the voice of Luigi, the first sort of crime boss you meet in that okay. game. Yeah. He's also, I'm forgetting the name Ended of the film. The system. Memento. Yeah, that's he's, the big that's one. That's the big one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That yeah. Is, it's that and The Matrix are his two big films. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was very busy late 90s, early yeah, 90s. Yeah, um, hanging around with Carrie Anne Moss. Yeah, but uh, yeah, jo- Joey Pants there was the original Eddie Valiant. Mm. Um, the executives couldn't believe that what they were seeing was 100% animation. They were convinced that it was drawn over somebody acting as Roger. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, they, they... Oh, they just didn't believe that Joe Pantoliano was. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a real man. <laughs> 
Oh dear. So uh, Weasley. Mm. Put Weasels in the film. <laughs> Excellent, boss. I'll write it down. Um, during production, one of the biggest challenges faced by the makers of the film was how to get the cartoon characters to realistically interact with the real props. Mm. Uh, this was ultimately accomplished in two different ways. Certain props, such as Baby Herman's cigar, or the plates that Roger smashed over his head, were moved on set via motion-controlled machines hooked up to an operator who would move the objects in exactly the desired manner. Then in post-production, that character was simply drawn over uh, the machine. Right. The other way of doing it was by using puppeteers. This is most clearly seen in the um, Ink and Paint Club uh, scene. Uh, the glasses held by the octopus bartender are in fact being controlled by puppeteers from above, whilst trays carried by the penguin waiters were on sticks being controlled from below. And the wires and sticks were removed with the cartoon yeah. characters added in. Just, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's I just love it. Uh, relating back to Joel Silver, his cameo mm. um, as the director of the Baby Herman cartoon was a prank on Disney chief executive Michael Eisner by Zemeckis and Spielberg. Eisner and Silver hated each other for their <laughs> days at Paramount, uh, particularly after the difficulties involved in making the film 48 Hours. Silver shaved off his beard, paid his own expenses, and kept his name out of the initial cash sheets. When Eisner was told, after the movie was complete, who was playing the director, Silver was nearly unrecognisable. And uh, Eisner reportedly shrugged and went, he was pretty good. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise it was Joel Silver either. I know yeah. what he looks like. He's... Got a full beard, beard, and he obviously went very, and also maybe making it Raul. Raul made it more, yeah, yeah, Latin American. Good, so, yeah. good, good job, Eisner, cutting your losses at that point. If you're like, yeah. yeah, you won this one. Okay. Yeah. Also, he couldn't have done anything because, as you mentioned, it was all Zemeckis, done. Yeah, it was all done, and Zemeckis yeah. had cut rights, so yeah. like you know, he couldn't overrule him. Mm. Hmm. Eddie Murphy revealed on Inside the Actor Studio he turned down the role of Eddie Valiant. Really? Mm. Mm. And that he regretted that decision. Yeah. This uh, is this is pre clumps Eddie Murphy, so Yeah, yeah, you know, this is, this is start, it's very Golden much, Age Eddie Murphy. I yeah. think it, it would have made the uh the um the metaphors a bit like stronger, having an African American actor in that role. Um Yeah, and I think like when you think private eye you think Bronxy baldy white guy. Yeah. Like a I can't think of too. I mean, I'm not a noir expert, but mm. I can't think of too many that are no, much. No, to be honest, really. a lot of them are more like your sort of modern noirs. We've got things like Luther with Idris Elba. Yeah, um, it's yeah. it's more set in things that aren't that classic 47 Los Angeles. Yeah, um, I think he would have been great. Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, but obviously they they went for Bob Hoskins. Uh, in one of the early versions of the script, Judge Doom was revealed to have been the person who shot Bambi's mum. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, that would have been so good, though. Yeah. So that's his character as well. Yeah. Yeah. So like when he gets up, he just like you know pulls up, puts on like a hunting hat, and then like flannel comes out from under <laughs> the judge's robe. Yeah. Um, and Christopher Lloyd figured out that Doom was a tomb when he read the introduction of his character in the script, when it stated that Doom never tomb. blinks. Oh, yeah. It wasn't as straightforward as that, but you know, <laughs> he figured it out from that. Final bit of trivia, Bob Hoskins had to do a lot of his acting in front of a green screen, only visualising the cartoon characters as they were added later. In a 1988 interview for Danish television, he said, I had to learn to hallucinate to do it. After doing it for six months, for 16 hours a day, I lost control of it and sort of had weasels and rabbits popping out of the wall at me. Hoskins <laughs> took a year off after finishing <laughs> this film. God, yeah, uh, you don't yeah. want to get too deep in that. Yeah, yeah. he um, it, look, he did a marvellous job and... Everyone did a marvellous job on this yeah. film. Mm. I think it's it is a technical sort of brilliant achievement. But what score are you going to give it out of ten, Andrew? Oh, we're jumping to that right now. Yeah. Um, 
like I said, I really enjoy it. And the technical achievements, you can't uh, undervalue how important those are. Mm. Um, yeah. Some of it just didn't quite work for me overall, but I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to give it um, seven racist bullets out of ten. Nice. Mm. Uh, what about you, Jason? Um, I'm going to have to think of something that isn't racist bullets now. <laughs> um, but I think it's good. Mm. And I think maybe what I... Like it is a kids or a family film more mm. than anything else, and maybe what I was kind of thinking because I haven't seen it as a kid, and it appealed to me so well then that it was going to appeal to me in the exact same way I would want something appeal to me now. Yeah, like I felt like it was dark and serious when I saw it, but still fun. Yeah, and then it was dark and serious, and then the fun was a bit sillier. Mm. Like I felt like there was maybe some somewhere more to go with it. So I'm probably going to give it seven. Um, Christopher Lloyd eyeballs out of ten. <laughs> I loved when they turned Which into is, the knives. They, yeah. they were great. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, or the bit where he just covers his eye for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after that bit, and you even mentioned at that one point going back to where you didn't realize he was a cartoon. He's like, where did he go? Why did <laughs> yeah. he just leave? He like just a villain. Away. Well, yeah. Now it is probably literally the most. Correct use of a villain having to leave a scene so, so yeah. the um, hero can escape and mm. like you know foil the plan. Yeah, so it none rather than going, ah, ha, ha, enjoy the um, enjoy your dip. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, enjoy yeah. your doom of like slowly being cut by a laser that I'm not going to watch. Yeah, Goldfinger. Yes, oh. uh, for me, um, I, I think th- this film is just such a lovely. Um, it, it's just lovely to watch it. It's it's like a it's like a comfortable pair of shoes. It's just nice that it's there. I appreciate that it's well made. Yeah, maybe it's a bit frayed because you've been wearing them for a while. <laughs> mm. But it's still, you know, it still gets you where you need to go. It's it's a really lovely film. I, I do think there are bits of it which haven't aged that well. Um, but I, I still think it's just an absolute marvel of its time. I think it's definitely one of the most ambitious. And then to pull it off... Um, technically brilliant films of the 1980s um so i'm gonna give it eight booby traps out of ten that was your favorite joke it was yeah. my favorite joke. <laughs> nice booby trap just oh, uh. every time uh that brings us to an end though of this review of who frame roger rabbit jason and andrew thank you very much for joining me on this episode thank you for getting me here yeah thank you <laughs> and for those of you listening at home you can find us on Facebook. Yes, that's right, we're there. Uh, you can search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club, you can like the page, you can suggest films that we should review. You know, there's uh, you know a couple of uh, festive films coming up, we might need some suggestions for what to watch. Um, we are also on Patreon, if you want to become an official member of the Cinema Catch-Up Club there. Uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash podcast and get some bonus materials. Hint, there might be a bonus episode exclusively for, exclusively for Patreons coming out in the next couple of weeks. So, you know, keep your ear out for that. And, of course, if you want to subscribe, we can be found on SoundCloud or iTunes or anywhere good podcasts are sold. And by sold, I mean downloaded for free. Uh, but that is all for this week. So, until next time... Goodbye. 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 This is the voice I had when I killed your brother! You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.